This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation. Being a mid-major Division I athletic director in this day and age is not the easiest job. Maybe growing up in Germany in a military family and becoming fiercely independent has helped UC Irvine athletic director Paula Smith become successful in her job during some of the toughest times in our lives. We talk about dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic, student health, as well as the 800-pound gorilla in the room, name, image, and likeness. Amateurism and sport, I like the sureness of that, but I do recognize this as a business. So absolutely, I would have 20 years ago not thought that we would be be here, even knowing that the rules, you know, there are there concerns or problems and issues with the governance structure um, of the NCAA, I still would not have envisioned this. I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to our archives. My guests have ranged from Hall of Fame basketball players, photo editors, Major League Baseball players, and photojournalist Christine Salvador Clens. I just remember kind of being in shock as to what was happening in front of me, and I, I just kept taking the pictures. And those two little children are children that I really love. And, and they, they did have a hard life. One of the little girls had lost her mother, and those are cousins, and they're the same cousins who are on the front step. You know, they were very close to each other. The rest of my conversation with Christina can be found on our archives at justagoodconversation.com. Let's take a quick break for a sponsor before diving into my conversation with Paula Smith. I have got somebody with a similar name to me, a simple Smith. I'm a Brown, you're a Smith. How are you, Paula? I'm fantastic. Thank you. And thank you for having me, Matt. I I love that you and I could probably get reservations at a restaurant and people are probably thinking we're using fake names. Absolutely. I actually had a a travel (laughs) friend from New Mexico State. I worked for the athletic director and, and his assistant's daughter was Sherry Jones. And we went to the Big West basketball tournaments together, and we registered for a hotel, and it was Smith and Jones, and they'd say, <laughs> aliases, tell exactly. us your real name. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. That or you sound like a very bland law firm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Jones and Smith. Yeah. Nobody really spiced it up with a big Q or something. Yeah. No. Just common and simple. So. I did my research on you. I've known you for a while, yeah. and I thought, my God, I barely know you. It was so interesting, and your your early childhood, growing up in Germany, your dad in the Air Force, working in White Sands. My God, that must have been, I mean, did you think at the time how blessed that was? I, you know what, I don't know that I thought how blessed it was. What I thought was it was a good experience because we traveled, went to see family at home in Richmond, Virginia, but I got to live in different states, uh, living on a a base, right? Just a common community and family. That's so that seemed normal to me. What I ended up realizing wasn't necessarily normal is where it, individuals who stayed locally in one place have long term childhood friendships. That that's what I think I actually ended up missing out of that because I have friendships, but nobody that's from grade school. Right, your your friend from fourth grade yes. who you went all the way through high school. With. Absolutely. Did that make you have a stronger bond though with your siblings? It did. It, okay. it absolutely did because we ended up, I mean, those are my, those are my friends that I originally, you know, played with, talked with, you know, 
went to lunch school with, like we just bonded together no matter what place we ended up living, we started out together. And I think that's, I don't know if you heard in the, yeah. in the other podcast that, but that was our bowling connection. And right. that ended up being my family's connection because we could all do it together. And because we were doing it and together as sisters, we could join other leagues. But I had I had comfort in family and, and uh, my sisters behind me the whole time. Who was the better of the bowlers? I would say my, and I hate to say this, but my, my oldest sister, Simone, would be the best. Um, I would say I was number two, and my sister, Kimberly, would be number three. And I hope they don't get upset because I named them. That's all right. But hey, <laughs> at some point, you got to throw down the gauntlet, and you got to hold down number two. Absolutely. Was she that far better than you, though? Could you catch her on a good day? I could catch her on a good day. Okay. We all, because we all... That was part of our life. I think we, up until high school, when we first could throw a ball down the lane, we were all competing and and, uh, participating in that sport. And then we all also played other sports as we ended up growing up. But the bowling was the consistent piece for all three of us. Was your, either one of your parents athletes? Uh, No. My dad, well, truthfully, my dad was in basketball. My mom was not. Okay. My dad did play basketball in high school. He did not in college. Is that where you kind of caught the bug? I know I caught the bug from, I, I orientate that to being in the military. Okay. Because when you move, you have to make new friends. Okay. And that and, was and, your avenue. And my avenue, you can play sports. You don't have to know somebody personally. In Germany, I didn't need to know how to speak the language. Like if you understand the sport, you can at least get out and play and have fun and make friends. And, and I, um, I have fondest memories of bowling. I did basketball. I did volleyball. I did fast pitch softball. Um, soccer? Nope, no soccer. No soccer. Uh, I, I would think European Germany that would be no. something. But no. but your but your sports more of the, the base variety. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. you're you're with a bunch of Americans on the yes, base. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So you didn't play really with any Germans. No. That would have been interesting. No, although we lived on base when we first got there, and then we did live one one year in um, Ramstein off base. Right. So. When I saw that you were living in Germany, mm-hmm. and I saw that, I thought, wow, you were living at that time when mm-hmm. the country's divided. Mm-hmm. What was that like, living in West Germany with there being in East Germany? Yeah. So, again, I was about six years old, so... In, it wasn't talk, though? Was it even a big no, deal? No, I just, again, part of being on a base, you might be a little sheltered um, and, and what you're experiencing. I think my realization of the country and what was happening is through education and okay. some of the tours that we had to take that were part of our um, education out there. And so we went to concentration camps. We went to, right, to, and you would, obviously they were empty at the time, but right. they they did give you the history and they did show you pictures of what that looked like. So that was my awakening to what happened in Germany, but I was also on base. And so I didn't have to experience really what was happening in the country or, or outside what of that, those walls. Experience though. Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah. sure. You could have been in the South of France or Italy or wherever yeah. the Greek, but, but to be in Germany yeah. at the time when the country is divided, mm-hmm. whoa, yeah. that's yeah. Yeah, but just as at my age, I didn't. Right. As a six year old, you kind of like, yeah, I just want my Barbie. Pretty much. Yeah, when's dinner? Can I have my sugar bread? Yes. <laughs> Are you big on, in Oktoberfest, or is that not something? I, we used to be. Um, as a family, loved it. Uh, my mom and dad did it. I would go with them up until right. a certain hour of the <laughs> night, and then I had to go home because they would stay and enjoy Oktoberfest. But 
<laughs> but I did love when I moved when we moved back here to the United States, um, we would find areas that would have that would be considered German town and mm-hmm. would have Oktoberfest and I love I oh, love schnitzels, cute. right? Ah. And I love German and warm potato salad and I still try to find an opportunity to have that here even now. Oh, see that's that's a nice like kind of thing yeah. to have that you can yeah. kind of fall back into your childhood. Yes, maybe your Katie you don't have Katie from fourth grade ever, yeah. you know, all the way through twelfth, but yeah. You do have those sweet I memories. I do have sweet memories there, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it was kind of the base, you said, drives your athletic yeah. fire. Yeah. Just friends and moving, because we lived uh, Colorado, you know, Mississippi. <laughs> we were in Germany, went back to Virginia, right, lived right. in New so Mexico. And I, again, that's, even when I moved here to California, right out of college and started at the Big West, in order for me to make friends, I, I enrolled in OCC, and enrolled in a racquetball class. I actually joined a bowling league out here. Like, now, see, again, it was just things, again, it's the connection. I find that absolutely fascinating about you is that you took care of you. Mm-hmm. Like, you did that. You you took classes yeah. to get better, fellowship, leadership, mm-hmm. right? You took all these yeah. things. And then you you realize, like, well, I can't just live in this apartment. I got to get my ass out and, and go meet somebody. Yeah. That's bold. That's big yeah. for what? What were you, 22, 23? 22. 22. And, and the other thing that I did, similarly, to, I got a second job. Did you? You know, I was an intern, and yeah, so on pl- an intern salary, you know. A, yeah, the PCAA. Yeah, it w- PCAA was just ending, and they were brand rebranding, and it became the Big West Conference that, that fall. And right. so um, I actually worked at um, for TV Guide. Doing what? Editing or? Selling, yes. I was selling. Because you have a marketing degree. I have a marketing degree. But I was probably more, even though I didn't get a degree in counseling, but I was probably more on that arm. So my job was to call up and, and sell. The wow. TV guide, and and I would call, and someone would tell me, yeah, um, you know, I just I can't afford it today, or this happened, and I would turn instantly into, well, well, let me help you with that. Actually, don't worry about. It. You don't need TV guide right now. What you need to do is do X, Y, and Z. So it took me it took me two weeks to realize I'm not selling any TV guides, and they're <laughs> they're going to fire me. So I probably am moving on since <laughs> I'm not really selling it, and I'm counseling people on how else to best spend their dollars. You're doing like financial work. <laughs> Yeah. CV dies dime. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I lasted two weeks at that job and I, I, I moved on. That's great though that yeah. you, you did go and yeah. go get a second job. Yeah. I just, again, you, to your point, I was new out here and I'm not one that just sits around and, you know, I love Westerns. I love barbecue, but that's probably not healthy to sit in your apartment and, and do that all day long. So yeah, no. So yeah, so I, I would go to extra games. Um, I found an extra job just to be out and about and have something to do and, and added income didn't hurt either. Um, but but then I joined two leagues. I did two different things to join um, sporting events just to keep active. And it was part of my passion and love and fun and having fun. So Wow. Yeah. That see that is that is big. That shows your character. Yeah. That you just didn't sit, you know, obviously there wasn't binge watching back then, but you didn't sit there with the clicker and just say, I'm going to sit here and mope and I'll wait for the next day to come. Yeah, absolutely. You got off whatever couch you yeah. probably had in your little apartment. Yeah. And it, it was all rented. So I, in New Mexico State, I lived off campus for four years in a one bedroom rented apartment for, I think it was, I want to say 410 total. 
Really? That's kind of expensive. I thought it'd be Actually, less. no, you're right. It was. Two, 210 for four years, never increased, right. furnished apartment. That sounds, yeah. That's correct. Then I moved to California, and rent was 500 empty apartment. So I had to rent all my furniture. And so I'm looking at my dad who delivers me out here saying, I don't know how I'm going to last on an internship salary with half of it or almost all of it going to just rent. Right. What was your, do you remember what what your salary was? 15,000 to start because I got the NCAA's um, internship for minorities and women in sport. And it was $15,000. So my first year as an intern. What do you think that professor... Mm-hmm. saw in you when mm-hmm. he said, hey, Paul, I got, I got something here I think you might be interested in. It was, I, I think it was the fact that I was all in working in the athletics department because I, I received a little bit of an academic scholarship. I was not recruited to play. Um, and so when I went to New Mexico State, I knew that I was going to have to work. And so I found a work-study job. It was in athletics. And so not only did I go to school and get my education and then sort of found a bond with him in, in sports law, but he was the faculty athletic rep, so he was around athletics when I would then leave academic and go across campus and sit in my, my four-hour-a-day work-study job. I not only did that, I actually volunteered to do the other things. If you want me to work championships that you're hosting, if you want me to do a, other special events, I always volunteered to do something else for, for for that sport. I actually came out to California as a student and went to the Big West tournament that was at the in L.A. at, at the, the forum, forum? Mm, at the forum, and and we stayed. New Mexico State stayed at the Cockatoo Inn, and <laughs> like and so I, I was invested in in New Mexico State and in sport and what that. I just, again, I love sports, so coming out to the tournament was an experience that I was not going to pass up on, and so what can I do to help out there? And so I think he saw that interest in me from just working in the athletics department. Where do you think you got that that bit of a passionate drive to keep changing? Was that your dad military, or is that maybe from mom? It's subtly from both of my parents. You know, I I tease them all the time and say that while they said education was important, you know, I don't remember them really hammering it in our heads in that way. But it was a clear message of you need to be get educated. You need to be independent, um, take care of yourself in that way, and and you'll do fine. And so I think that was just a subliminal message that was carried forward because unfortunately, Unfortunate for my parents, they don't have grandkids because they have three daughters who are independent, own their own homes, right, have their own separate careers, and and they don't, none of us are married and none of us have any kids. So it, it the, the message was heard and carried forward, so, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So you come out here, you're making your big whopping 15K a year mm-hmm. <laughs> before taxes. What's your what's your thought? How long are you going to do this internship? I mean, do you, I mean, we know what happens, but what's yeah. your thought? My it, honestly, it ended up being so I my I got my degree in marketing. I did a minor in transportation and physical distribution. So I was I was still on the business side of tracks of things. Yeah, and and I was at when I was graduating, I was sending out my resumes, and I most of my resumes were going to like. Right, companies for rates and tariffs and I was applying at like Conical Oil Company. I had one internship opportunity in Alaska and I had this intern opportunity at the Big West. I loved 
that internship so much. I loved one, the connection of who I was working with. Didn't my boss, Dennis Farrell was an amazing boss. He encouraged me in terms of what he thought my direction my career would go from just this internship. Small eight person conference office. So it was teeny. But the beauty of that was that you got to experience all facets of intercollegiate athletics. So I got to do, even though my primary responsibility was in compliance with Dennis Farrell, I had an opportunity to do championships, right? I actually helped read our press releases. We, I, everyone in that office had a seat in theory at the table. Well, they kind of had to be right. I mean, there wasn't big enough where you could just pass it off. You know, you couldn't be Gary do it. Right, right. You weren't (laughs) pigeonholed into one functional area and told to stay in your lane. Like everybody, it was a shared responsibility and everyone's in, um, my, um, peers who were at other conferences were in that particular predicament. Mm-hmm. If you were marketing, you worked for marketing in that period. You st- you, period that you stayed there. Compliance, you stayed there. I had a different orientation. You're like, today I'm yeah. for half the day, and then the next half, half of the day, the day I'm this. Yeah, and so after a year of internship, I was offered a full-time job, and I was having the time of my life because I was in sport, and I loved California and the people I work with. It was a natural fit for me to say, yes, I'd love to stay on. Um, And then from there, I would tell you all the other mentors that I had just kept encouraging me about where they thought my potential could be, and I was never pigeonholed just in compliance. And so Dennis Farrell got me into the NCAA's fellow program, which allowed me to have an athletic director mentor, and through that, I, I traveled to other other schools. They gave us a session on finance. Who did right? you see? Where did you go? Um, we I went to UCLA was one because at the time Dan, Dan Guerrero had just um, – he had just taken that job. Well, he was he was there when I went to do the president's okay. fe- fellowship, and so they always encouraged me to do that. And so he ended up connecting to me as one of my fellows early okay. on through Big West and other things. But I ended up going to UCLA as one of one of my institutions for doing that. I went to um, Kentucky was one, and then the other sessions were actually at the national office. And at the time, wow, okay. the national office was Kansas City. Missouri, not in Indianapolis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so then they brought other institutions in and did sort of the forum sessions. So obviously just save some of the expenses. Um, We we got to go to one place and then they would bring us into the national office and have an athletic director or a presentation on the subject. So that was, that again was another opportunity. You should do this fellows program. You should see what all aspects of the business is because you don't really have that in the conference office, you know. Right. Yeah, pieces of it, but you don't know what the institutional um, no, it's different. work is you like. Know it's this. Different. It is different. It is different. A conference does not operate no. like no. a day-to-day Correct. athletic department. Correct. And so the other pieces of it that helped me continue to shape it was starting out in compliance and having to do rules interpretation. And at the time, the Big West had football. Yes. And so I was doing... And a lot of different partners, too, back then. Uh, we... <laughs> Oh my God! Grew as a new target about conference realignment and that sort of thing. Oh. Who was a member of the yeah. membership? So I did rules presentations for head football coaches. I had to do them in front of like as starting my career in the twenty-two to twenty-five year olds for these these big time head coaches, um, basketball coaches, and I would travel to all the schools and present this. Women's and volleyball was huge, huge back then. Yes, that's yes. one thing people forget. Yes. Long Beach Pac- State was a dynasty. Pacific, Pacific Santa yeah, Barbara. Yeah. At one point, all three of those teams were in the top five, not yes. ten. Yes, correct. 
they, I mean, when they played, it was war. Yes. Like yeah, the we, NCAA TV would have loved to have had them at the time. Yeah, and I, and I think that's what happened. In conference realignment, things shifted and and then changed for some of the women's sports. But you're right, Long, Long Beach State and those programs had an amazing women's volleyball program. They oh. were national champions and right. over and over. And so it was amazing in that sense. But I had, I had coaches, big-time coaches at the time, basketball coaches, football coaches, that really said that I was able to hold my own. I, you know, I demonstrated confidence. I had an understanding of NCAA compliance and rules. I weren't really rattled when, when they would push back about what sort of the educational components that I was giving. Now, what do you think that is? Because you don't walk into a room imposing. You're all of a good five feet on a Yes. Good good wedgie day. Yes. Right? Well, I had a meeting with our sack and I told him I was five two and then and then they all looked at me and I said, Well, I'm just giving the stats like you do on your rosters <laughs> and you pad it but you pad it by two, right? That's it. <laughs> so yes, I'm uh, on a right? good day I'm five feet, maybe yeah. not that. So it's not like you come in going, no. you know, I'm 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 taking over the room with no. my presence. No. It was just the power in which you yeah. were able to disseminate the information. Correct. It's power in disseminating the information. Again, it's similar to anything else. Do I enjoy public speaking? Absolutely not. A lot of people don't enjoy that. But when you speak probably on mostly on the things that you know and mm-hmm. you're confident in your knowledge and education, compliance. And so I was all in in compliance. And I, I read the NCAA manual. I knew each section in the manual. I was proficient on all the popular sections of the manual. It was financial aid, been awards and benefits, playing and practice seasons, you mm-hmm. name it, like the court membership court. So really studied that. I was proficient in searching NCAA database for rules interpretations and precedent setting. And I just, I knew that that was my job. And if I wanted to be in this field, I better do the extra to make sure I knew it inside and out. And and also the power of being able to say, I don't know, and I'll get back to you. Right. Like And so the confidence is transparency in what you know. Don't overextend what you don't know. Be clear that you'll get right back to them. But the things that you you knew the answer on, be unequivocal and answer that question right away and don't deviate from it. And that was that was powerful in a sense that I was not rattled with coaches, but that was hard work and discipline of my dad and my parents as I grew up. And and then certainly the education that I got from Ministerial in the conference office. Like you have to know when to ask the additional questions. You have to know what you you know and the experience of the understanding of the job and you will go far in this career. And so but you have to do the work. You and have we, to read. And you know this with football coaches. They can see if you're BSing them. Yes. So if you say to them, I don't know the answer, I'll come back to you. They appreciate that yeah. more than you say, and they're going, hey, let me kind of tap right. dance through this. Or, or even understanding that they're going to give you the pieces and the data points to get the answer they're looking for. You have to know enough to know what else are, aren't mm-hmm. they asking or what aren't they telling you and to be able to ask those additional questions so that when you answer it, you are answering it with all the information to do your best at interpreting that role. So, right. Yeah. Are you in love though at this point? Like is athletics a love or is it still kind of a thing where you're like, I could jump to another job if the right opportunity of knocks on your door. I, I would say I'm still in love. Correct. The truth is I, because rarely... back then you don't know, like, right. You're a kid still. Yeah. It... DuPont knocks on your door. Does something, mm-hmm. well, whoever name that company big yeah. then. Yeah, I. So we I like the cut of your know. jib, young lady. Would you like to come work I for us? I love sport. 
I really do, and I love it in higher education because I love the, I love the impact that we have on young people's lives and and the trajectory the trajectory that we can help them in terms of where they're going to go. Part of the opening of education and access, um, the amateurs, amateurism of sport, I like, and I realize Division One is a business, but it's still at the core of who I am and why I'm here in higher ed. I love professional sports. I watch it. I watch football. I watch NBA basketball. I watch Australian Open, you know. Um, I watch soccer. I watch the World Cup. I don't have any aspirations of working in professional sports. I love when the Rams come here, but also it's two weeks and, and then they leave, right? Um, and so I don't, have, I don't have that aspiration for pres- professional sports. I love it in higher ed. So I, would I go anywhere else? I've been fortunate to live here in Southern California, work for the Midwest, work for UC Irvine, work for UC Riverside. I, again, that's a blessing and a fortunate that not everybody gets, but I still love it. And I get up every single day ready to come into work. It really do. I get up and say, I wish I don't have to go to work today. Like it's right. I know my sisters have in some respects to, to their career, um, more frustrated days than not, but rarely. You're fortunate too, because you know, as your counterparts all across the country, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of them that bounce. They do that associate 80 job Mm -hmm. in Nevada. Mm -hmm. Then they go to, you know, maybe Western mm-hmm. Kentucky, and then they go to Texas, and mm-hmm. then they get their job at mm-hmm. Stanford. Doesn't work out, get fired. Mm-hmm. Then they go back down to mm-hmm. Illinois State. I mean, there's always that bouncing. So for you to stay just regionally, Southern California, yeah. oh, yeah. good Lord, lady. And That's that, a lucky day. It is a lucky day. And um, I say that I, I was afforded those potentials because I had people see other things in me because I didn't, when I left conference office, it was compliance and championships. My first job here at UC Irvine, I transferred into academics. Mm-hmm. And that, again, this is pe- individuals who see potential, the willingness to learn and, and understand and craft your, their trade and their job. And so I got an opportunity to come to UC Irvine and do academics. So my my growth in this industry promotion opportunities happened at the place that I was I was fortunate in that so I could I could grow up in the big west and be elevated in promotion I got came to Irvine I I left after one year only because I was heavily this was my first recruiting effort to experience from a head coach like none other and Stan Morrison who was you know former basketball coach Mm -hmm. and an athletic director he came and picked me out of Irvine and wanted me to be the SWA and and his associate AD when they were transitioning from division one to division two the only reason that I I I know that that came true because he was one of those basketball coaches that I had to go and do rule interpretations from, and he experienced me in the conference office and the work that I did. And so he, to your point, you have individuals who have a list mm-hmm. of who they would, would hire and want in their work and force, workforce and employment, and he recruited me here. I said, no, I'm happy. I love it here at Irvine. I just got here. This is wonderful. And No, I'm not. No, uh, you know what? You just need to come to Riverside. Let me come see the campus, right? Experience it here. And He so pitched I, you. He pitched me. And so I'm like, oh, fine, I'll go and see. I'll go and see the campus, and, and then I'll tell them things. But Had no, you even been there by then? No. Okay. So he uh, wanted you to experience yeah. it. So I, I said, I'll go out. And I was all prepared to say thanks, but no thanks, because I, for some reason, couldn't tell him no <laughs> when how he first his, asked. How was his pitch so in person? His, was he good? Oh, he was excellent. 
he was excellent. Like it because if he was a basketball coach, he's recruited kids, so he's he knew how to pull strings. He pulled strings. I managed to say, I'm not really <laughs> sure that I want this, and so I thank you for this offer to come out. Um, but you know, give me give me a moment to think about it. And I came back to Irvine and went into my office, and then phone calls, and he's like, Well, what else do you? What else do you need? What else about, look at this beautiful campus. Look at the chance that we have. Like he laid it on in terms of all that, that Riverside matches sort of the layout of Irvine, mm-hmm. the opportunities to advance in my career. Build something build, with me. Build right? something with me. Um, you know, that's and then, big when you go from D2 to D1. You really are building something. Yeah. And I, and so I, I folded. <laughs> he got you. <laughs> he got But me, that's yeah. part of the pitch. That's it what did. makes, you know, a coach yeah. able to recruit yeah. a kid. Yeah. You're and, selling. And selling. And the idea was, again, get out of your comfort zone, right? Face fear, mm-hmm. right? So I left the conference office, came to UC Irvine, a new new role that I was having here. And this isn't about abandoning an institution that just brought you on, but but if your concern is where's your role and in, in experience as an associate AD, supervising head coaches, doing all that, like – We'll be a team together, and you have the the acumen and the skill to do it. So don't let fear hold you back. And I think that message there said, if I'm going to if I'm going to advance my career, then I'm going to have to step out on faith to do these things. And and I feel like for women in sport, a lot of times we want to prove ourselves over and over again. And do you wear more, that chip just, a little bit. I do, and uh, prove it one more time that I know how to do this job. And then and then when the promotion comes, I'll. I'll take it. And okay. so it was that message of you you got an opportunity and a promotion. Take it and go experience and you'll do the work that you did. You've been doing all along to understand this role and working with coaches and supervising units. And you have a supporter as an athletic director who is not going to let you fail at that. And what are the, the things that need to come in place to to make you proficient at doing this job? And so I accepted it. And and I was, you know, I was agonizing over it. But the moment that I said yes, <laughs> it was like, it, you know, the release and relief. And I felt no pressure from that standpoint. How, you know, everybody, you're always looking Especially when you're young, like, mm-hmm. oh, I want to be this, I want to be that in the career field you're mm-hmm. in. At what point were you ever thinking an AD hat? I'd like to wear that AD hat. Mm-hmm. I would say in 2018, 2019. But the, the e- even even though, like, you're mm-hmm. first mm-hmm. here at Irvine or at Riverside and you never had mm-hmm. the kind of, like, I think I could do that or try that, yeah. what yeah. was then, what was that fear? Or was it a fear? Just, it, oh, no. you weren't, you didn't think you were ready to wear the big sombrero? I I was just not thinking that was the career path that I wanted necessarily. I okay, was happy. I was happy at the job I was doing. I was happy working in internal affairs and student services and in day to day engagement with our student athletes, and I felt fulfilled. Wow, that's big because you know this. There's a yes. lot of people that are always like, "I can do that job." Yeah, no, I, I can do it better too. I'm fulfilled. And truth is, I have a seat at the table. I do have some impact in, in that. And so I don't, even at Riverside, I it did not cross my mind at that point in time that I would want to be an athletic director. I come back to UC Irvine in 2006. Athletic director leaves, Bob Chichester. Campus asked me to step in to be an interim. So my first time at being an interim was in 2000, 2007. And I said, sure, I think yeah, I'll be happy to do that for you. I'm here at this institution. I need to see it forward, and and um, I'll step in that role. And I did it. And it 
it worked out fine. We got to hire Skip like I had. There was success yeah. there in doing it. Even then, I did not say, I want that chair. I was happy working Just in holding it, keeping yeah. it warm. Yeah, keeping it warm. And it wasn't until Mike Izzy left that individuals really said, Paula, you, you've been in this career a long time. And a lot of things as the internal athletics director, when there was crisis management. Right. You know, sort of employee discipline matters. When there was chance of budgetary items involved in unfortunate time in yeah. 2009 when we had a discontinuity. Yeah. You were at the table and dealing with, with Office of Equal Opportunity and Diversity and trying to look cutting at what programs. cutting programs and having to yeah. sit in front of coaches and tables like you. You have been in all aspects of this job demonstrating that you can do it. And in some respects, when, when they've either asked you to be the interim or uh, the AD has been out on medical leave or vacation, you're doing the job. So why are you going to continue to allow others to step in and you have the greatest impact being in chair one than being in chair two? And you have been doing it, so why aren't you thinking about just taking off the associate or, you know, and just right. make, go uh, for it. And go for it. And it really wasn't until 2018 that I finally started listening to other people and, and really recognizing that's exactly what I had been doing. Wow. But I, I was loving what I was doing, so I was not thinking. I'm not, I've never been in a space that I was trying to climb the ladder and what I just wanted to make sure the quality of work that I was doing, that I was still enjoying what I was doing, that I was compensated well for what I was doing, and I could be fulfilled in that. And so it really, I had others convince me that I should, I should consider that. Walk me through that moment when they offer you the job. What mm -hmm. are you thinking? Well, um, well, the first part of it is deciding to get in the, the ring mm -hmm. and then having to contend with if you aren't the successor. Right. You may not have chair two to mm -hmm. go back to. Sure. And are you prepared? Someone brings in and wants to start making moves. Absolutely. Are you prepared that you might have to relocate, move, or do anything else? So do you even want to get in the search from that standpoint? Um, and I weighed that enough to say that I would still try to find, find a place in athletics if that didn't, didn't work out here. Um, so I went through this extensive sort of the campus decided, like, I don't want this to be a consideration of an inside job. That's not where Irvine is. We hold recruitments. We're going to do a national recruitment. Sure. And, and I realized that they're, they, the they have way. a, it is the only way to do it. It's the only way you would want it too. Correct. You would not want it to be like, we just gave it to Paula. And then everybody's like, oh, really? Right. That's what you did? You just kind of slid her over? Correct. That's no. exactly you it. You want to go to war and, and put up your resume and who you are with everybody else, I win. Agreed. And that was the right decision to do. And so I realized that they had, they knew I had built enough relationship here. I knew that people knew the quality of my work and who I was right. and, and um, my character and integrity. So I'm a known you open a search up and they get to experience something right. different. And you never know coming out of that if they're going to say, actually, I think I, think I might want to try that. Yeah, um, we like the cut of their jib. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so, and I was in the middle of NCAA convention. As a matter of fact, I was on the Division One Council. And so I was doing this interview and um, some of my interviews ended up being by Zoom in Indianapolis, Eastern Coast time. So at nine o'clock and six o'clock here. So like I was 
in the council voting on legislative <laughs> matters, waiting till then seven o'clock, six o'clock to get into a private room to conduct my interview. And would I have enough energy? Would I, you know, would I right. present myself well? Um, and then come back and have these forums with coaches. Um, and so I went through all of that. So obviously when the phone call came. Where and, were you? Were you at home? No, nah, I was. And you were I doing was. what? That phone rings and you say, who <sighs> the, calls you? Who called me actually was um, Chancellor Gilman. Okay. And then his assistant, Lars Walton, who's associate, then sort of wrapped things up for me. He was the, the chair of, um, Chancellor obviously made the final decision, but he was part of the chair that was on it. And it really was that, hey, Paula, we've, we've, we've finished our search and uh, we think you're the right candidate, and we'd like to offer you the job as uh, UCI's next athletic director. Did your heart skip a beat? Did you give a little fist pump? What do you do? I immediately said, well, of course. <laughs> I would love it. I accept. And then, and then I'm like, okay. So then we get into a little bit of the negotiation part of it right. because – and it's my, never over. It's never over. And so, yeah, so then we, we move into, yes, but I, I, was, I, I was fortunate. Exactly. This is what I need, and here's what I want. And we really had to go through an, um, a concept of that because I think the previous athletic directors were um, contract employees. I happen to be a career employee in chair one. So I'm weighing whether or not I want the contract and stated bonuses. And is that the right space for me now? Or is it a space to stay as a career employee, which is a different sort of thing to deal with. This campus is amazing. And they really worked with me. And And it's a weird thing too, because they know you. So it's not Mm -hmm. personal, it's business. And so you're, you're asking for these things and they're, they're asking these things of you and it can't become, well, come on, Paula, we know you, you know us. You gotta look out for Paula. I still have to look out for Paula, because, like we said, mm-hmm. it could be four or five years. They say Paula, we're, we're going to go yeah. another direction. Absolutely. So Paula's got to look out for Paula. Yeah. yeah. So, so then, that's a so, weird. Yeah. That's it, a weird it, situation it negotiating was. at that level it was. with people you know. Yes. If but, you're, but it was great. If you're Paula from Cincinnati, you could say whatever you want. You don't know a person on the phone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These are people I've built relationships right. with that I would want to continue. Yeah, you good could work. see them next good. week and have lunch with. Correct. Like, why is Correct. Paula being like that? Yeah, no. And it, so I went, the negotiation part of it went well, and uh, we signed on, and they were like, we're ready to do it. Like, tomorrow, let's, I'm going to get with strategic communication, and um, and we'll announce. Well, yep. The nice part was that they were able to announce relatively quickly and um and they announced that and we went out on i think it was june 6 or something like if i can remember like june yeah june 6 Mm -hmm. 2019 Mm -hmm. which is a very interesting summer Mm -hmm. because it was really the last summer we had our shit together (laughs) just it was a nice calm summer yeah there wasn't a word there wasn't nothing about a this or a that Mm -hmm. and you know all of a sudden these weird rumblings mm-hmm. are happening, and mm-hmm. you're not six months into your, yeah. you know, big seat. And there, what was the first time you start hearing of COVID, or even mm-hmm. not the word pandemic yet, but COVID, or or this could happen, or that could happen? It was. Let's just step back before COVID even happened. Talk about social justice. Like that took off, right? And we had we had activism by our student athletes. 
people wanted to stand up for, right? When I'm at a higher education, there's a freedom of speech. And and we had the death of George Floyd and, and our students were... Was that in... That was 22, right? Or 2020? 2020, but it, it was happening the same yeah, time. Yeah, summertime, like that, right? That was summertime. A, we were... I, I Let's go back and look at that. I might have my date. Like COVID might have played with COVID? me, but I feel like it was social justice issues. It was COVID issues. And... And our students were trying to figure out how they can magnify their voice, how I'm changing my website, where are we going to yeah. post this, how do we how do we say messaging without offending people, yes. and, and I'm not in a space of wanting to stifle our student athletes, but we have social media accounts, and, and I even had to contend with that a little bit because all of them, all, a lot of the students athletes wanted to have statements on all of our social media accounts. And I'm like, you do realize that's an open forum and freedom. And so if you're going to be able to say what mm-hmm. you want to say, if there's a counter opinion, right. They post, I can't sen- I can't censor them For and that- start to take that off. Right. So, so where's our next medium and having to really work with our student athletes and help them understand I'm not, I'm not, for your voice and for standing up for Black Lives Matters or for All Lives Matter or to, to let you do that. But let's make sure that we have a vehicle and a forum to do it. So once we're done, not that we're ever going to be done of speaking up, but right. if that once that medium is gone and we can move on to something else, let's have this antlinger voices or change. Because when, when we move past that, that can go away, but I'm not shutting down my website. I'm yeah. not shutting down our 54 social media accounts. Like, oh. And so that was an experience to go through. And then, yes, we hit 2020 and we're March. We were in the basketball tournament. Yes. COVID hits. I get a call that says from the conference that this is happening and we're, we're likely going to have to. Were you at so the arena yet? Or are you? I was at the arena. I was at women's basketball game Tuesday in Long Beach. Yes, I did that. And I came back to campus and the men's team was practicing. Uh-huh. I'm in the, the catwalk when that happens. And I'm not I'm not there in Anaheim okay. yet. I'm here on the campus and it's uh, okay, this is happening. We are going to have to have a dial back of athletic participation at this point in time because of the COVID that's coming around and and so yeah, I have to answer what is COVID. I call an all department meeting. On Wednesday, March 11th, I bring in all student-athletes, all coaches. I'm encouraged to give a space of this is what's happening. We will start, you know, we will be monitoring it. We're going to set protocols. Actually, the Big West Tournament is going to, right, we're suspending that. But this is all we know right now, and no need to be panicked. And, and I just got everybody together to have this conversation, and I'll keep you informed. And that was on Wednesday, the 11th of March. And then on Monday the 16th, I was sending everybody home with their remote work agreements. Are you, are you getting your information from the conference, or are you also hearing stuff from the NCAA? Three, there were three places. It was institution, right. conference, and NCAA. And so from March of 2020 through pretty much, I would say, the spring of 22. We had different varying issues that were happening related to COVID. You have city, county, state, the yes. feds, the yes. school, yes. the UCs. I mean, you're dealing with all kinds mm-hmm. of people. Coming Orange at County you. Public Health. Yeah. we have Cal OSHA policies. We've got we've got Orange County. We've got the state of California. I have NCAA. I've got Big West, and and then and then having to figure out what that policy was going to mean in California for every city. 
county that we might be going right. to play in. Yep. Um, State, too. <laughs> and then Hawaii, who had a really different you right. know, sort of rigid um, process. But the 2020, the first year, I thought was really difficult because it was the idea from the public that we would be prohibiting student athletes from an opportunity to practice and compete and then having and not being able to explain every single day to student athletes, parents, fans, why Irvine's policy was as restrictive in some way than another state Mm -hmm. or from another county in you know, in the state of California and, and having to deal with people who thought that I was independently making decisions and not letting student athletes, um, have an opportunity to come back and practice and play And that. That was a difficult year because it was a lot of emails that you, I would have to read and try to try to communicate and explain where I was from public health standards, university policies, conference policies, NCA policies. Did you feel like you had no control? You're just trying to like Mm -hmm. juggle chainsaws? Yes. And that was year one. That's what I felt in year one. But the truth of the matter is year two, I felt was worse because year one, everybody was the same. You, you came down with COVID. You had a two week you know, 14 day quarantine. Right. And then a process, a system to get out of it. Like there was no ambiguity in terms of what you were doing and you couldn't test out. you like, you were just, you were in quarantine or isolation. And that was it. And that was it. And if we had pods, we set up things so that we had pods and we can be able to practice and teams were able to decide, do I want a full offense defense or do I want to separate the two? I'm like, mm, probably should have offense and defense because you'd have at least some bodies to play as opposed to <laughs> one aspect of it. But but we set up pods where we were able to train. We Campus was amazing. They set up a uh, temperature and um, oh, yeah. testing yeah. scan so kids could do a wristband and we can, we can demonstrate that you were coming in free of COVID and able to train and train in your pods. And that ended up for me being year one being easier because year two was it all depends on who, where your close proximity was and whether or not you were positive and who was your close contact and, and were you in a house or a pod. And so right, you just started it, playing tag. Who was, who was near you? Who was near you? And, and 24 hours. Who's talked to you? Who'd you get next to? Mm-hmm. Like, and oh so God. do I, do I have six? Do I not have six? Is it, is it this whole house? Not this whole house. Is it the full team? How are you on the road? How are you doing? Like, so, so year two, I felt like there were more unknowns and more because the public was changing too in terms of everybody's opinion of of whether or not you know where covid covid right. matters or covid vaccine was um and what was are you in the low medium high risk tier like right. there were so many variables there that i never knew from week to week where we were going to stand with regards to impacts policy state policies county policies and they were always changing and so year two was hard i believe was harder than year one right were you ever thinking i mean or i mean it had to come you're sitting at a table with all your associates and anybody else who's your advisor at this point Mm -hmm. going okay guys we gotta start looking at a budget Mm -hmm. it's completely wrecked Mm -hmm. we don't have any money coming in Mm -hmm. and we're spending way more than we thought because now we're doing all this stuff to protect what was that like when you start looking at those dollars actually it was pretty fortunate for me here at Irvine with having UCI health and having a medical 
you know, being at this institution and having a medical arm because they went in all in for protecting the community and protecting the campus community, of which I'm a part of. So they were already in on deciding to do testing, to provide testing kits, to, as I mentioned, to set up this testing site over in athletics so so our kids could come in and, and get their screening and testing and a test that they were COVID-free, get their... They did antigen tests that were nasal swabs. Right. One of the faculty members created a saliva testing kit that was even faster in results. They gave us access to that. So for UC Irvine Athletics, the campus took us in within the umbrella of the campus. So COVID-related nice. expenses, I did not have to. What do you think share. that could have been if, God forbid, um, you were UC San Bernardino? It was a, a significant budget hit because all the cal- the schools that don't have hospitals tied uh-huh. to it. Right, not everybody does. Was going to the community COVID clinic <sighs> is where their student athletes had to go to get their testing. With everybody else. With everybody else and when you were getting your testing results. So, so the budget impact for me was to your point of our facilities are closed. And so the things that I would normally be doing for generating revenue, we had lost, right? Because we're not renting out the brand anymore for outside groups and things like that. Yeah. Um, and and that was impactful. But while that revenue source sort of dried up, I also was sitting on a, a surplus. So Because you weren't spending money. I wasn't spending money, but I also had a surplus. The campus really, when I took this job, made sure that I started on a good footing. And, and so past debts had had been cleaned up and And so I actually um, have been running our department in a surplus and so I was able to draw from that and take a little from reserves and and the plus exactly the magnitude of not having revenue generating um, opportunities in our facilities and in the venues um, I was able to mitigate that and I also worked with amazing staff and coaches who I said this is a shared responsibility. Let's let's tighten our belts, belt strings right here. And if we all are conscientious about our spending, we all come out of this together. And so while there isn't competition happening, let's not go out and say, okay, I can use I can spend this money to buy equipment. Like I'm gonna this year let's do that because I'm not using it someplace else. But understanding if we help ourselves and we reserve, you know, how we spend our dollars, we will be in a good position the well, next year. Well, did it at any way, did COVID change your leadership style? Um, I would say no, because okay. I'm, I see myself as um, a servant leader in that se- sense. I am a leader who, while I can make independent decisions and ultimately tell, I feel like things are shared responsibilities. I like for my staff and coaches and student athletes to have buy-in. And so I do a lot with regards to opinion and voices of my my staff and how we operate the truth is if everybody has a buy-in to what we're doing we move ourselves forward if you give anybody a space I feel like if you give people a space to say I wasn't part of that decision it was somebody else's then I don't have to live up to it and I can right I can I can back out of it and just say it's somebody else's but once you you step into that and you help make that decision I count on you to help carry us forward and so so in COVID um there was so much to do that the medical staff, our ATCs, um, they all stepped up and they really became sort of the experts that they could be in COVID-related matters. 
Erica Montebaro, who is a senior social athletic director over academics and student affairs. She was a number two because she was the conference sort of information related to that. Paul Hope, who is our associate athletic director for operations and facilities, same thing. Like he helped structure what the COVID clinic and testing site would be for us. They also manned when the campus opened up and wanted to do some testing for us off campus at the Bryn. Right, yeah. And they were running that, like his team and the Bryn staff put that together. So for me, my leadership team was the team that helped me continue this this servant leader and serving both the community, our campus, um, and our student and coaches. And really it was about, we're same thing, you're not here, we're just practicing the first year, right? We're not doing necessary competing. Coaches, what do you have as your job? Like, how do you step in to help in other areas? Yeah. And they did. I mean, did you have, I mean, there's nothing they could have done. It's just out of frustration. But did you get coaches pushing back? Like, damn it, we want to play or we want to do the tournament. Like, when Mm -hmm. basketball got Mm -hmm. canceled. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, they especially basketball. Mm -hmm. I was there when they decided Irvine was the champion and we took Mm -hmm. the pitcher on the Mm -hmm. court. But then I also watched this poor kid from Santa Barbara who was coming in next. It just yeah. happened to be luck that Irvine was practicing when they made that call. Right. I think it was Santa Barbara was next, and this kid just started, he's a senior, yeah. and he starts just crying because yeah. he just thinks, you know, that's it. He, they don't get an automatic bid yeah. unless they're in. Yeah, and I will tell you that. I mean, it was heartbreaking to it watch. It was heartbreaking. And because nobody knew about the COVID relief yeah. or this. It was like that kid thought, I'm This done. is it. This is it. You're gonna you're gonna do this to me. This is it. Yeah. And you look at student athletes and you say, you're more than just an athlete, right? And you, I want you to to recognize that you know you're a student, you're a friend, you know your experience here it is more than just a student athlete. So we're trying to get them in that space of thinking about that, and then you COVID hits, and you take that away. Right. Especially that's, if you're a senior, you that's spent a, a, right. That's a core who they are. So then, at the end of the day, you have to understand that that impact on that part of their life that has been part of life for so long, and you take that away, it devastated them. Sure. And and I, you know, if I'm being honest in terms of even how to work through with coaches and and continue with relationship building, that was a that was a huge test because. COVID hits, it's, it's action. What are we doing? What's our policy? How are we sending people home? How are we going to continue our operation or our business? And yeah, how are we going to 30 days? Right. What's but our... it was make these decisions and be focused. Right. So I look like it wasn't a robot, but I look like someone who maybe wasn't as affected mm-hmm. by others because I, I have my list of things I'm checking off to ensure our division is cared for. And and that emotion that you just talked about from the Santa Barbara kid immediately crying, my 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 coaches didn't necessarily see that and were wondering if I had empathy mm-hmm. for how they were all feeling, both coaches and athletes. It's just what they didn't see is I have this ability to be in a space of reserving my emotions doesn't mean I don't have them doesn't mean I'm not empathetic I typically am the one who like I want to show confidence as a leader and then and then behind scenes right I had that same emotion and have the same tears and that was just even a working relationship that I had to demonstrate for the coaches that because I didn't share the tear doesn't mean that I didn't care I was demonstrating my care for you ensuring that our operations were still being held solid and moving forward so i mean uh, how were those nights when you're either driving home or you're home Mm -hmm. you know alone and it's Mm -hmm. you know it's rough Mm -hmm. 
I mean, were there nights mm-hmm. where you were just like, if I had a dog, I'd kick it. I mean, it's just <laughs> miserable, right? Because, I mean, at some point as the leader, it is on you and it's a tough decisions yeah. to make yeah. or the decisions that you don't have control. They're being made for you. Yes. Right? NCAA, the conference, the city, the state, the whoever is yeah. telling you and you're just like, I'm the messenger on this. I, I know I'm the leader. Yes. <laughs> and in COVID, I was a messenger. Yeah. Really, there was. You couldn't yeah. say, we're playing the hell with you. Yeah. <laughs> no. Nope, could not. So there's got to be those nights where you just kind of just actually pissed, not pissed, exhausted. Yeah, mentally you must have been mentally just a- exhausted because it was at your desk at home. I'm one of the employees because we did we sent every we deployed everybody mm-hmm. home. I would be up at my workstation by seven a.m. and there would be days that I would not even go downstairs for lunch. And if I ran out of my water, I ran out of the water for the day, <laughs> and and I just wouldn't even walk downstairs to to refill it or eat lunch. And it would be 7, 8, 9 p.m. And I would just, I would end the day, close the computer down, go go back to my room, shower, go to bed. So it wasn't, I don't feel like I had time to be angry. I was, I was exhausted. Did you ever think about relocating to like Montana? <laughs> I'm going to no. work from home no. in Montana. No, <laughs> you would laugh the first, the, probably the first six months I would get up and shower and get in my work clothes. Do you, yeah. And then walk down the hallway, you know. <laughs> But you know what? I think you need that for your mental health. If you rolled out of bed, you know, didn't brush your teeth and wore whatever you did all day, that's, you got to start your engine. You can't just drag your keister and your slippers to the computer. And it wasn't until maybe six months where I said, okay, I don't really need the hill, the hills to walk down the hallway. And so I (laughs) would put, put tennis shoes on, but I still kept, I still kept the routine of getting dressed and I just, something in me didn't let me go in sweats or, or, or the half, the half tone, the business up top and, you know, casual down, down bottom. Um, I still dressed for the job, but I just didn't put heels on. You can wear some Adidas. That's all right. So I can't. Out, I came out of COVID with one huge positive, which is I really am not wearing heels anymore. I love the Adidas. But does that drop yes. your height? Or are you just wearing thicker heat, Adidas heels? Oh, no, no. It drops the height, but I'm good with it. <laughs> my right. feet are, my feet feet are, are great with it. Yes. <laughs> your dogs are happy. Absolutely. When, well, you're, when you're the AD, mm-hmm. how is your challenge watching coaches? Because you are monitoring, mm-hmm. right? You're the leader of the leaders. How are you as a watching and seeing what they do? I mean, people mm-hmm. will say, oh, I saw her a game, or I saw her, you're this, mm-hmm. you're there. You've got a job to do at a game. You're not just there with your pom-poms cheering yeah. away. You're you're monitoring. It's it's monitoring the whole operation. Yes. It's not even just how's my coach coaching for the night and, you know, what's happening in that. The truth is I have our senior staff. I have sports supervisors. Mm-hmm. My sports supervisors work off this sort of lead one coaches evaluation, and and they are also part of my team in that. And so, you know, what's the goal and expectation for every coach? And as we sat, how that's working, how's their demeanor, how are they, you know, um, treating our student athletes? Are they providing for a good experience? Or are they managing their uh, program and their budgets? Are they fiscally responsible? You know, yeah. are they keeping themselves educated? Um, you know, how the course of sportsmanship, are they teaching? They're teachers, right? All right. Are they leading and teaching our young people um, for the next part of their career? And then, and then, how are they engaging the community? 
All of that happens with the coach on a day-to-day basis. That happens more so when I go and watch games, but also when I'm at the facility, then I am, I'm looking at everything. I'm like, where, where's my risk and liability? How's my marketing going right now? What's the attendance like for tonight? And you know, like it, all of that, I'm trying to take note of, of how things are going um, for each one of my programs. And, and yeah, it can, it can be a lot. And then I have to come back and my Sport supervisor is usually at all of the home games unless right. they ask somebody to sub, and and sometimes we confer like how do how do we think this went tonight? What did you think the demeanor like? Am I? I was a fan experience. Absolutely, you know. If I wasn't close to the court and there was an interaction between a coach, what what else did you see about it? Like now we have you know, tapes of all their games. So that's mm-hmm. nice. So if I have to go back to that, but before we weren't always having streaming of our games and events. And, um, and so it would be a conversation like, did we see the same thing? Did, did I have a, a reaction right. to something that maybe I'm overreacting and not reacting? What was your temperature on that? So we do a lot of collaborating in that and just to assess that are we, we on the same, are we on the same page? Are we seeing the same thing? And then depending on it was, I have my, I have my regular meetings with the head coaches and, and we walk through some of those things. And I am about a partnership. The truth is I have to be transparent with them. If I'm happy with something, I, I need to share it. Right. If I'm displeased with something, I need to share that too. Mm-hmm. So I'm not at a space at the end of someone's contract or how they're experienced that they're walking away saying, I, I got no feedback. Right. I really don't know how my job was. Now I don't you're know telling what, me. Now you're yeah. telling me. So that's really, that's not a way to work in terms of, of having relationships and doing, conducting business. So that's my, my triage in terms of working and evaluating coaches on a, on a regular. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of work to it. People yeah. just think, oh, you know, oh. She's at the game. Well, no, there's a lot to juggle. I'm sure you're looking at everything from how the parking attendant greets you, how you enter into the building, security checkpoints, you know, yeah. and are some, people making eye contact. Correct. And some of those things aren't even um, divisions under my under my responsibility. Right. For instance, parking and transportation. That, that unit that unit reports to somebody else, but that is the first experience a fan would have coming to campus. Right. So if I'm not connected even with that division on what my customer's experience is, because it will impact. Right, you'll hear it. Because they're going to assume, hey, I want to talk to so-and-so. That parking attendant was an SOB. Well, they come to you. They They don't don't know who the transportation yep. guy is absolutely so so you've got that we have donors in the building so we're we're I'm, that's another thing right i'm right. i'm meeting and going to hospitality room and talking and talking up our program and Hi, and, hello right hello yeah. and keeping people engaged and making sure that they're passion and interest in athletics and we're meeting their expectation how many people want your ear at a, like let's say men's basketball yeah. right because that's where you get a lot mm-hmm. of vips mm-hmm. in the tent yeah. mm-hmm. i mean are do you have a dozen Definitely. people that want your ear before a game oh absolutely i want to chew on paul i've been talking about this and this yeah. and this and this and and i would say the majority of it is positive it's nice that they just want right. to have a connection and they appreciate seeing and having that connection and you have a space to celebrate what you're doing and why you're doing it and you know the amazing parts of our student athletes but of course there are times too when of, of their right of their opinion and and uh, their I viewpoint. I can't believe so and so. Correct. Right. <laughs> can't believe so and so, or we're not moving fast enough, right. or why haven't we started this facility? And when when are we going to improve here? And so we do have those kinds of questions too. But they're they're in earnest for the support of the institution that they really like, or the programs they really like, or the student athletes. Yep. Right. That they're trying to impact. So right. I'm, I'm expecting them and. That's the way that's the way the business happens. You use the buzzword student athlete. Mm-hmm. They have now have more power than mm-hmm. you and I could have ever yeah. imagined. Yeah. 
whether it's too much or too little, that barometer has not yet mm-hmm. been decided. But with the mm-hmm. deal of the NIL, yeah. wow, has that changed the landscape like nobody could have imagined? It has. If I would have sat you down that little apartment place mm-hmm. wherever you were at and said, no. could you imagine no. this young lady? No. I, I don't want to say I'm delusional, but I, I spoke to you earlier about amateurism and sport. I like right. the pureness of that, but I do recognize this is a business. So absolutely, I would have 20 years ago not thought that we would be be here, even knowing that the rules, you know, there were, there were concerns or problems and issues with right. the governance structure um, of the NCAA. I still would not have envisioned this. And now I get it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do get it, and the student-athletes should have an opportunity to market off their name, image, and likeness. The, the, my personal struggle with that or challenge is that that's what they should have the opportunity to do, and I would not want to block that. The challenge that I think I face is that the means of other institutions, this is such a, yeah. such a beast that Ugh. the NCAA, through the – by the nature of the decision that was made, they don't have the ability to force it. There's no way to regulate that. Right. It is all different. And the truth is, the students should be earning it. So if the students should be earning it, athletic divisions and institutions shouldn't be involved in it. Right. But institutions are. Mm-hmm. Programs are. Individual coaches are. And there's no way to police that. So as I'm trying to compete against the next program, and I'm not trying to be autonomy five school, right? But it's starting to bleed down to to my level of an institution. And and if I'm student athletes who would come to my institution might choose another school because of the deals that they might get. There's might no, get might get. I still have coaches and programs who don't want to lose out to a recruit not having that as well so at my level as a one one triple a championship division without football i'm trying to get that donor to continue to support my division and my division for the student athlete experience and and um, their career preparation and success capital planning for my buildings um, just general support and scholarship all of those things and now how do I go to that donor donor who I want to do still to be involved in these ask them to get into a collective or or to begin paying individual student athletes so am I prepared to give up what they're going to give to me to give to the students and that might that's their choice to do. Sure. But then I will have to contend with and how my division continues to balance and operate in that way. Right. And it's a total yin and yang yeah. because let's say maybe that donor would have given you $5 million to mm-hmm. do the upgrade on a baseball mm-hmm. facility. So then let's say the target is mm-hmm. 2028. 20, mm-hmm. They don't. They spread it out to maybe students. Now all of a sudden the students don't want to come here because the baseball stadium's not upgraded. You're like, well, wait a minute. Yeah. But we gave you money, but yeah, but the stadium's not upgraded. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh my God, yeah. how do I keep up with this? Yeah. And and we're in a space right now that our 350 student athletes, um, we've just launched Open Doors. So at least we're providing a, a platform that will create a marketplace so those student athletes who do have an interest and want to get in, they can have a place to go and see if there is opportunities and deals out there. And and that's kind of where I've been um, for UC Irvine Athletics. 
but I also understand that that's not necessarily where some of my coaches want, and they would prefer that I'm actively engaged in trying to get our donors and community to do a collective. But again, that like I said, that's that's split in the pie. Yeah. And so where do you want to cut it up? That's like, a rock and a hard place yeah. to be in right now. Coaches, are you totally fine then with all of your advancements and your facilities mm-hmm. being pushed ten years? Yeah. Or just being completely removed off the wish list? Yeah. That's that's the hard part. That is. Again, rock in a hard place oh, right now. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I do want the kids to get something. Mm-hmm. I just think now it has swung so far where you've got some kids making more than your your power five football coaches. Mm-hmm. You're like, what? The kid's making $5, five million, million a year? Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Who am I to say where the money is? But at some point you go, whoa, right. holy God. Well, but that's true. That's true in intercollegiate athletics altogether. Yeah. Again, we went down this road when we start having multi-million dollar head coaches, multi-million yeah. dollar associate head coaches, mm-hmm. multi-million dollars assistant coaches. Like you've got three yeah. layers depending on whether you have football or don't have football, even the basketball sides of it. Yes. And you see individuals that you think are getting rich off of those who are doing the work on the floor. Like there's an element to the talent and the skill of the coach to bring this team together for success but the student athletes are actually paying it and and they don't see the value of their scholarship as compensation in a way it is Mm -hmm. but they don't see it in that space so they're on the sides of saying where's my slice of bread going to come from why is this side of the house getting rich and i'm right i'm not the mid-major schools are so it's so crazy how small it is compared to the other power fives Mm -hmm. mel franks one told me that nick saban's salary for like six straight years was more than Fullerton's complete athletic budget. Yeah. And you go, well, that's one guy. That's not even the staff. Yeah, and then that's correct. not even the football correct. budget. Correct. Was but. more than a mid-major budget. How, I mean, you look at it and go, we're not talking apples and oranges anymore. We're talking bricks and correct. apple carts. Correct. Correct. I'm How do you 24. Yeah. Million. That's it. For 18 intercollegiate teams. And you're right. You can find one head coach in certain sports. That is my whole budget. Sometimes in one given year, or at least over the you know, the right. life of a contract, it's still a lot of money. And oh. and so then you have this space of you can get that, and I can walk out the door and find a better deal and go to another school. But we're going to be judging a student athlete being able to leave and transfer to go. You got to so find yourself a T bone, you know, that's got money that wants yeah. to. Give you yeah. Time. So Jesus. right. So we have to. We're we're now in the space of understanding for all of the opportunities and rights that were coaches were afforded to be able to do and move you're going to let your student athletes do it now too so that's i think that's the hard part in in sport right now because you would recruit your student athlete and if you were honest right and authentic in your recruitment and you delivered what you said you were going to deliver on the recruiting you could keep your student athlete but now you were recruiting the kids you recruited who joined your team last year so you were recruiting 24 7 not for just for the incoming kid, but the kids that are on your team and whether you can keep them to stay here because you're, have you given them enough beyond their experience and competition to, to stay here? So, yeah, Ben and I, like I said earlier, Ben and I had that honest conversation. He goes, I'm always recruiting now. Mm-hmm. I'm recruiting in house. I'm recruiting yeah. before they get yeah. here. Yeah. I'm recruiting when they leave because, you know, hopefully they become a donor and successful and you're always trying to like yeah. keep that relationship. Yeah. You don't want to cut it off. No. And it happens, too, with coaching changes, administrative changes, mm-hmm. alumni, you know, especially athletic alumni. Mm-hmm. They, oh, that was my guy. That was my gal. What yeah. do you mean you fired them or let them go? Yes. 
Yes. Oh, I'm not donating now. I'm done. You know, I've seen it single-handedly at places I've worked. It's brutal. So so name, image, and likeness is just going to, it's going to. The genie's not going back in the bottle. No, it's not going back in the bottle. But can it be tamed in some way? If you had a magic wand, is there a way you can kind of make both sides kind of happy? I would say I think I'm on the train with the NCA at this point in time that if I mean, congressional I, intervention might happen, yes. Outside of that, there's no way. Not when you have, you yeah. know, 50 states and all 50 states could have their own individual yeah. legislation related to name, image, and likeness. And, and yeah, in all Sacramento, the, they're doing that. And yeah. Just pulling it out of thin air. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, oh, and everybody's got to get. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean everybody's got to yeah, get? Yeah, and so when you have that difference by state, it, I, I, no, I don't think that you can really regulate it in any way or come close to that until until we all sort of have some common right some common goals around that. I remember you know, everybody was saying when this starts to go down, oh, you know, the quarterback, he's going to mm-hmm. make a bazillion dollars, this guy, that guy. Mm-hmm. And they were all thinking, guys, on the football side. And I said, you know what? You watch out. There's going to be an, a, a woman golfer, mm-hmm. a swimmer. Mm-hmm. Like, those are the, there's going to be the ones you're going to be surprised. Yeah. And everybody's kind of like, no, 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 no. Nobody watches women's golf, especially in the NCA, and, you know, whether you're at Fresno or, I said. Two, two things, right? If you have an Olympian mm-hmm. who is an individual champion who is going to maybe pro- compete for right. you know, national level, yes, you're going to want to monetize that, uh-huh. that student. Also, if you're talking about name, image, and likeness, those who have great gift and talent and creativity who become social media. And, uh-huh. and I feel like women tend to do that a lot more Way than Way more so, better. Yeah. Guys are stinky and girls are beautiful. Yeah. It's just the way the landscape is in college. Yeah. Yeah, there's, not, there's creativity amongst all, but yeah. I know that, that coming out of the shoot, the Fresno Twins and women's basketball happen to be more influencers and right. we're getting their name, image, and likeness than it was about them being yeah. There's a, what's the gymnast at LSU, mm-hmm. right? She's crushing it. it. Yeah. There's some, I think in Vermont, I think I saw a women's yeah. skier. Like, it's like random. Like, mm-hmm. what? Skiing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'd be mm-hmm. shocked. Yeah. It's not just the, you know, had Josh Allen had the NIL deal when he was at Wyoming, he would have been a massive fish in a very small pond. Mm-hmm. But, oh, yes. Yeah. He might have been, you know, Earl's Tuesday night happy hour at the bar oh, off of Jeremy and it wouldn't have been the killing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. 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 Absolutely. We should have been athletes, you and I. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe together we'd have made a half decent one. And you're going to have to put height wise, you're going to have to put us together again. Well, not, well, not that. Bowling. <laughs> bowling. You should have bowled. But bowling was not part of the NCAA so at the when? time. So when did that become? It just recently, like in the last, I want to say maybe 10 years. No, I became... not more than that. I met a, I met a, really? I met a women's bowler at Nebraska and I was like, yeah, well, okay. And maybe I'm losing track of time, but it was, it was not bowling was not in part of the NCAA or association right. in that sense. There's but some... the truth is I could have been a professional bowler. And it, interestingly enough, I actually, Judy Sutar was the one woman's, uh, bowler that I can remember sort of watching and really liking, but it was probably Earl Anthony, more of the men's <laughs> men's bowlers uh, <laughs> that uh, that I probably watched a little bit more. But but I again, I watched them and I loved them. I didn't. I really didn't think. I don't know because I had the opportunity to play. So even talking Title Nine, 
I had opportunities to play. So again, until I became a professional, still right. I realized the impact of what Title IX was and the opportunities for education and sport and careers and that sort of thing. So I, my, my thing of dreaming about who I was going to be and opportunities and what I didn't have, that I, I didn't have a want for that. I actually had a blast. Right. That is life. the one thing I do love about sport. Yes, there's challenges, right? At five feet tall, it would have been mm-hmm. a very difficult for you to be a Division One mm-hmm. women's point guard. That would have been tough. Yeah. But you could have been a golfer, yeah. a bowler, you know, equestrian. Yeah. There's yeah. there's other yeah. avenues where it's not you have to be a seven-foot-tall men's basketball player. There's avenues in sport no matter what your height Correct. and ability is. Correct. Well, and which truth, is what makes it beautiful. And truth is, there are some that are short in stature that are amazing. Basketball, oh, yeah. basketball players, so I can't I can't oh, yeah. use my height as as an excuse as to why you I didn't play in college. But it's a rarity, <laughs> right? But still, but I growing up basketball and volleyball those team those team sports was it for me, right. and so yeah, yeah. Well, you could have maybe golfed. Yeah, but were it, you a decent golf? You ever played no. golf? You know, my dad loved golf, and I would go to the golf course with him, but I never played. And then I moved out here. I did buy clubs. I still own clubs. I certainly can dress the part. <laughs> and, I, and I've played more executive. You look adorable in a golf outfit. Yeah, I do. And I've done some like par three executive courses. And, um, and so I have played. But you ha- that's one sport that you better be at the driving range and continuing to, right? Yeah. Right to get better at it, and that's a lot of. That's that not was, a bicycle. You got to no. practice. Yeah, you have to practice, and that I just I, again where I felt where I was growing my career, I didn't I didn't have the time for it, and that was not my love. I rather I actually would have rather played basketball or volleyball. <laughs> so so golf, while I like it, it just didn't it didn't catch on for me. So the clubs are in in storage and collecting dust. The beautiful thing about golf, though, is you can play that forever. Yeah. I might pick it up, right? But yeah. I don't I don't know that I'll be picking it up in while I'm working it might be in retirement so (laughs) how is the health of Mm mid-majors in our conference right we're a Mm mid-major conference and and some might say we're a low Mm mid-major because we're a non-football conference how is the health with schools spending crazy amounts of money colorado which now just has Mm -hmm. you know coach sanders there they spent 177 Mm -hmm. million dollars on a football Mm -hmm. facility Mm -hmm. You would love to have $177 million. I mean, your eyes light up and go, what could I repair, fix, and improve around here? Yeah. And don't get me started on that. (laughs) Uh, You know, UC Irvine, 1965. Look at the footprint of intercollegiate athletics over here. Bryn Bryn facility opened in 87. Yeah, something like that, 80s, yeah. That building is, you know, in repair, in need of, you know, regular maintenance mm-hmm. kinds of things. The Crawford Gym, Crawford Hall, one of the original sort oh. of buildings and structure. Again, the, can you imagine the maintenance on that? So how do you move your department forward if I'm spending dollars on air HVACs and maintenance and, you know, just general maintenance of right. the building? And I want to spend dollars on scholarships. I want to spend dollars to get the best talent and coaches and athletes here. Right. And I want to improve venues, but also having to spend, at this stage, stage of doing business, a lot of money just on general maintenance. So Mm -hmm. the health, I think, of Big West or mid-majors, I... I don't want to say completely rocky, but we're we're being tested right now because the truth I'm is... I'm worried. 
yeah, the truth, we really are being tested. I know some of the things that have come out of the Transformation Committee sort of appreciate the language of it because they were leaving it open for, for schools to sort of find a pathway. Yes, direct benefits to students, health and welfare, right, care, uh, medical care, um, academic support, professional, personal growth, all of these things a lot of our schools are doing. So I think I think while these policies are coming in place, we're able to say we're providing it. So the question is, are we providing it or are the students using it? Are we providing it in a manner that they want to use it? So I, we all have career fairs, career workshops, tutoring. Like we have all these things for student athletes. The question is, is someone going to put a price tag Oof. on what that means? If they don't put a price tag on it, I can demonstrate for my student athletes and populations. I'm providing that. Um, when it comes to... Um, just generally, some of the new things, they wanted to have um, a mental health specialist. Mm-hmm. The original policy said an FTE for mental health and DEI. The most recent iteration that was approved was the language changed to say a pathway for student-athletes to have access to mental health. Well, I can create a pathway. We've got a counseling center on campus. We've got, you know... Um, psychiatrists, you know, the professionals here. I, I have a new staff member who's collectively putting together all the resources. So I can I can answer a yes to that because I'm providing a pathway. But if you tell me that there's a dollar figure tied to it, then I have to ask you. I have to wait until, if that's part of it, to tell you whether or not I can do it. But they've left a lane for us to be able to still do it. But it is on shaky ground because there is a lot there medical expenses. I can't tell you how much that's going to cost to provide medical care. Not just, we already do it two dates, two years past the date of injury, but if it's two two years past eligibility or two years past graduation, like that's, that's another expenditure that I don't know the, the financial figure on that, but those are the kinds of things that impact us more greatly. The the elimination of the coaching, Mm -hmm. the volunteer coaches, right? That's great. NCA's gotten themselves out of antitrust issue, and they've eliminated that. Well, right away, every volunteer coach that's out most of the schools, most of the coaches are thinking, well, great, that's going to be now a position a on A position, campus. right. Now the question is, is it a paid position? Mm-hmm. And if it is, I have to ask any one of the coaches here or at any other institution, were you prepared for every single program that had a volunteer to now become a full-time FTE making money and benefits? Right. In reality, so to your question as a mid-major, shaky ground, I don't know that we're all capable of then deciding that that person is now going to be a compensated employee. So, yeah. so now I have to contend with what unintended consequences impact the student athletes because if you were used to having four coaches because they had this volunteer legislation, mm-hmm. are you still going to have four or are you going to just have three? And that's huge. That's huge. And every Division One institution right. is going to have to make that decision. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm worried. If 30 years I've been doing this, I've been at Long Beach and Fullerton, and I'm blessed to be here. Mm-hmm. And, like, I've seen the Pac-12 when it was the 10 and how mm-hmm. they're changing and the Mountain West and all these places and, you know, places go, Pacific go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm worried that we're going to just get, like, priced out of the NCA, mm-hmm. like we're just going to get squeezed to a point where 
baseball might not ever get to Omaha again because they get stacked in the West and you're always going to Stanford and you, they load you mm-hmm. down and they still use that stupid 9-11 excuse. Yeah. It used to be Fullerton would go here and now it's no one goes anywhere yeah. and they all make it so difficult and you're loaded against teams that are just spending mad money. money. Yeah, well, part of that is also going to change. So they've come out with a, a recommendation that for 200, for sports that have 200 plus institutions playing it, the bracket size can increase by 25%. Now, you have to listen to what that means. And if you increase by 25%, they're also committed to also seeding the bracket, which means that there's no longer, you're just going to get on the bus road and go up. So they're going to now, at the NCAA level, have to invest more money into running championships and providing quality, competitive championships and so there's going to be seating so people are going to travel so we won't uci is not going to go up the road and play ucla and sc all the time they're they're going to seed them appropriately around so then i might be on the road or i might go someplace else but it's not going to be consistent to have to play that institution all the time um so so there's positive pieces of that that help shape how the membership goes but the end of the day is you have to wait for the next part of that policy to come in because right now you don't see teams that have a below 500 record. Is that going to change? Right. Is that, yeah. If it changes because we granted greater access, now does it mean all of the SEC and Big right. Ten and schools get into the get into a championship, not just the top eight? Yeah, are you watering it down, but you bring uh-huh. in quote-unquote better talent from a conference now, you got, Jesus, how many teams are getting yeah. in? And you're like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, so so for us as a mid major, it in certain things we could be priced out of it, and and I I have to wait to see. Well, I, I have to start planning for thinking about providing a strategic plan for for some of these changes. Right. Yeah. I, I, mean. I don't want to lose sleep on the things that haven't been set in stone um, because I could I could be wasting time where I could be doing something else when they're just sort of talks that are happening out there are not necessarily real concepts. But but the one example I can give you is there was a conversation at some point about perhaps making the policy that they would you would have to scholarship all of your student athletes. All? Mm-hmm. Whoa. Let's do away with headcount and equivalency sports. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to tell you how much, but, you know, scholarship all your student athletes. Or you can scholarship all your student athletes. Well, well that's again, even worse. Not, right, permissive, not telling you have to, but you're right. So then my comparison to another school and their ability to provide scholarships to all of their athletes and whether I would be able to walk up to that and provide that to all of my athletes, that sort of conversation came out, and then it a little trickled away a little bit, and now they're talking about roster size. So maybe I tell you, instead of how much you can spend in scholarship dollars, I tell you you can have X number of kids on your roster. But I still have to contend with either the number on the roster or the aid that I have to give. And so every item of this business is going to be now monetized in some way that I'm trying to, I'm trying to stay in the game. Oh my God. As close as being the game that it can be. Yeah. That, I mean, that, oh, Jesus, if you had to give every track kid a scholarship, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the biggest team we mm-hmm. have. 85. Right. Holy moly. You talk about a budgetary shift. Yeah. 
I mean, baseball, what's baseball's number? 11? Their, their, their equivalency was 11.7. Yeah. But they also had a policy that yeah, um, of their 35-man roster, if you gave someone a scholarship, you had to give them 25%. Yeah. Or more. You could not go below that. So at least in that sport, there was already at least a mechanism for giving aid and giving a, a minimum comparison scholarship right. for everyone who was in Division One. So if you gave scholarship, you had to do 25%. In other sports, you don't. I can give you books, which is $800. Yeah. And then, you know, you know this because we're a UC. And now it starts to be like, okay, how much is that out-of-state kid going to cost us? UC is more expensive than a state school. Mm-hmm. Location. Mm-hmm. Right? We, we're in a very expensive place in Orange County. If a kid's going to live off campus, that ain't cheap. It's not cheap. Right? If we're in Missouri or... Idaho cost of living's way cheaper. Yeah, absolutely. And our the cost of an out of state scholarship is almost the same value as a private education school. So what about a foreigner? Is that so, right? I mm-hmm. mean, international. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just a little bit more. That's a difference between a non resident than an international. But still, it's but they show up for like tennis, golf, yes. soccer. Those yes. are big. Yes, I remember talking to the Santa Barbara men's coach one mm-hmm. time, and he was saying, "Boy." You know, if you get four more of those, it's a gold mine yes. to you. Yes. Because now you get that kid from this way, this place, this yep. place. Yeah. Wow. Well, and you have, with our basketballs, you know, in men's basketball, they've got six out-of-states. Yeah. And out-of-states international. Like, it's yeah. really, it's non-res. So they have that opportunity. So the question is, how much more are people going to invest in that? And is, is the out-of-state numbers going to overshadow the in-state? And then how many other teams feel like now with a transfer portal and everything else that's happening for them to maintain success that they also would hope to have out-of-state scholarships. Does this keep you up at night? Mm -hmm. What keeps me up at night is because I hire coaches who were excellent at their craft and trade, and if they're not fighting for what they think is right for their program, then I don't think I have the right coach. But at the same time, that means they're coming to the table every single day with how to improve their program. That's usually dollar-related. On an institutional budget that is institutional sports, student fees, and some fundraising, right? And that take 14 head coaches and extrapolate how much they all think they need to have for their program. So, yes. It keeps me up at night, and it's that's the heartburn because I'd love to do it all for everyone in the program. But in reality, I don't have that kind. I don't have a money tree in the backyard, and so, so right. It's the fundraising that really yes. can separate the yeah. schools because you at a UC everybody gets yeah. the same amount. Yes. And there's yeah, but it's fundraising, 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 and generating revenue. Right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a huge thing with UCLA and SC leaving the Pac-12. Yeah that what the agreement was is that UCLA has to pay Cal. Like, what? <laughs> I mean, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that have been nice if Pacific had to pay us a fee when they left? Right. Yes, but at my level, we do have we do have exit, you know, entrance and right, exits, yeah. but it's not in 70 million. It's yeah. 3 it's 3 million it's, that's shared between yeah. 11 schools. Yeah, it's a dozen donuts and a pack of cigarettes and nobody's smoking, so that's not I mean, it's like pretty much Pretty much, and now that particular that particular um, conference realignment change that happened, right, opened up the door in scrutiny. And so, if if any of the UCs, at least because of right. UCLA, wanted to change conference, there's a there's certainly a different process that we will have to go through. Yeah, because the precedent's been really, yeah. really yeah. crazy. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I can't believe how that's how that went by, but that's above my pay grade yeah. and, and conversations that yeah. probably a lot of people did not want to have yeah. very uncomfortably yeah. with each other. Seriously. Yeah. No. I mean, what else keeps you awake at night where you're sitting there going, oh, boy, Paula, just go to sleep. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. You know what? Honestly, outside of how to afford intercollegiate athletics, that's the that's it. That really, that's the big thing. And if it's not that, the only other thing that would keep me up at night, which, you know, it's not something I have to think about every single day, but it's, it's, it's the harm that might happen to a student athlete like oh, that. Yeah. Having to worry that something, something serious, um, uh, injury related would happen to a student that. Right. That's the worst know, thing to see. Yeah. I mean, what we saw a couple of nights ago, mm-hmm. was it Monday Night Football with Buffalo? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the mm-hmm. worst thing you would ever want to mm-hmm. ever have to experience mm-hmm. as an administrator. Yeah, and I've had, um, you prepare for it, but when you prepare for it, it's still it's still surreal and how you have to experience it. So when I was at uh, Riverside, we, I actually did um, crisis management um, training with the campus. And I don't know if you're familiar with um, Bob Korb, who was an official and he's well known in the water polo world. He worked at Riverside and he was one of the faculty members on campus there. He and I were partners. And um, we, this is a systematic approach that the campus did with regards to crisis management. When something happens, this is our team. And we were it for intercollegiate athletics. And UC, UC Riverside had a situation where a student had passed. Really? In, a, in a driving accident. And it oh, was, in a driving accident. Yeah. Okay. But still. Right. Still. It's, it's a team. So yeah. you have to, we had to come into campus. It's the protocol of PD coming in. Who's your speaker? Um, only sharing facts. How do you get the family, get them set up in a hotel, make sure they're cared for the day. And then all the trauma and everything that comes from that. Like that's just such. Um, and that was pre-social media when you were doing media. that. I mean, yeah. now it's like a, just. Mm-hmm. message blows with the wind of everybody knows yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you it, don't have control of that message life transforming in a way that traumatic and that trauma and that sort of thing those kinds of things would keep me up at night that you know am am i making sure that we're doing things um right are we are our teams traveling by bus our coaches not driving late at night do we have all these measures yeah, in place like it was just right? right we're just i want to make sure that we are doing our, our due diligence and all that we're doing to make sure that you, i can't mitigate in everything but have we really made sure that we're really trying to take care of that those are the things um that sort of could keep me up that you know am i thinking through all the things the right things and having um, policies and procedures in place um and that that besides not having enough money. <laughs> <laughs> it's but. crazy how it's changed where when I first talked to you about coming on, is like how ADs were typically the retired football coaches mm-hmm. of the time, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm retiring, I'm becoming. Mm-hmm. And what coaches used to have to do, I talked to the former Wyoming baseball coach where him and the assistant coach would get the players in a van mm-hmm. and they would drive across mm-hmm. the state and go to Colorado. It's like, can you imagine Russ driving a bus mm-hmm. to New Mexico no. right now? No, well, that, and that's exactly it. So you, a coach getting behind the wheel, even some of our smaller teams are, are small enough that you, they get in a Golf, van. right? Vans, right, get yep. in a van, and that coach drives to competition. And after a full day's competition, mm-hmm. are you getting behind the wheel and driving you and your team back? Right, even from Vegas or Santa, San Diego Vegas. or, yeah. 
And so... And Vegas is the worst drive right? at 15. So, oh. so we're ensuring, are you doing your driving training? Are you prepared to stop? What, what's your what's your itinerary like? Where are you getting relief and a break? Who's switching seats to, to get behind the wheel and drive so that you're not the one trying to beat it back home? And at all costs, even if it's five people who need to get in a van and drive, if that's a long enough haul, we'll put you in a bus. And, and a professional who's trained, who's supposed to be, you know, but right. they're on the clock by when their relief time and rest time and all of that. Right. I'd much rather spend a little bit more money and have you go in. It's not going to be the big motor coach, but something smaller that a professional person a professional. Is, is, is driving the team and driving them back. Um, and so those, right, it's the fender benders. It's the, I, you know, I fell asleep at the wheel. Like I thought, I don't want those kinds of things to happen. So we're trying to do all those kinds of measures um, and evaluation of our, our operations to, to mitigate that to the best of our ability. Yeah, knock on wood, we've never experienced yeah. such tragedy yeah. like that. Yeah. I mean, those are horrible when yeah. you hear them and you're like, oh, the wrestling team went off the road or the yeah. golf team. Yeah. Yeah. It's always in the van, Yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they, well, even that, just look at the, you talk about old times before we knew better. You got in a van, and we had the the fifteen passenger vans, right? That had, mm-hmm. you know, the axle wheels behind the axle, like, and that right. was found out to be dangerous in that. So now those are prohibitive, and you can only do right. You can only have twelve passenger vans, and right. um, loaded with gear, yeah. with tall basketball players mm-hmm. who are eating pizza, screaming, playing Run DMC loud in the car, yeah. whatever, yeah. and they're just trying to come home from yeah. a game. Yeah. It so, was a whole different right. World. So I don't even know in terms of whether it's the vehicle that you're in. That was it safe or not safe. But right. again, we keep learning, you know, as as things happen and an institution puts protocols in place. But yeah, we're still the human aspects of it and we have to make sure that we're not in we're not invincible and I'm, you know, thinking through the health and care. I would love someone to drive me around in one of those Mercedes Benz Sprinter vans. I'd be okay with that. <laughs> I'd be okay, maybe with the Sprinter van when I'm ready to retire and I want to drive somewhere on my own. But oh, no. would you want someone so, to pick you up during the oh, morning yeah. and oh. pick you into work and drive you back? Yeah, that's called Those, lift. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Those big leather seats right. recline. Just get me to the front door. Right. That's all you want. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you, when you think back, because this conference mm-hmm. has unbelievable, Irvine has seen unbelievable stuff. Mm-hmm. But you were front row with those men's basketball teams with UNLV mm-hmm. that I remember sneaking into Cal State Fullerton to see mm-hmm. it. Like when I talked to my, my son came with me the other day and we were shooting basketball and he was I was like, You have no idea, dude, who used to play in this building. It was a show. It was a show. I holy again, moly. I I actually enjoyed the experience when we did have football. It was obviously it was small time, but right. I thought that was so cool. To did be you able ever to, go to the potato bowl? I I went to. I don't know if it was a potato bowl or what. what I mean, it was at Boise we went, State. Yes, we went. I went to Fresno for a bowl game. Okay. <sighs> Is it the Freedom Bowl? The Freedom Bowl. Freedom yes. Bowl. Uh, went to UNLV for a bowl game. Thomas um, Mack or whatever. Yeah, it was out. I don't even remember the name of it, but yeah. I do remember, and I'll share a story off, <laughs> offline on that one. Um, but uh, but that was a lot of fun, um, just having football until it went away. And then, yes, then we transformed into this really amazing basketball conference. It was and crazy. Utah State in the conference and UNLV in the conference and having our tournament in Vegas. And it was it was a blast in terms of the quality kinds of basketball that we had here. And we had multiple teams going to the NCAA. And, yes, for me, I was at the conference office when right. UNLV was the pinnacle of it and Jerry Tarkanian was the coach. 
coach and and the biggest team was um, Larry Johnson, right? Stacy Austin, King, writer, Ogman was on that team. Yes, yep. like, Stacy Ogman, like that was that was Greg what? Anthony. Yes, Greg. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so yeah, that was that was it. A, was the show? It For was two show. years. It was must see TV. TV. Didn't matter where you were at. Yeah, and didn't That's, didn't. Wasn't there a deal with ESPN too? Like we would, they would put them on like weird yeah, hours just to get them on. Mm-hmm. Like I think I did, I was at a Fullerton game once. It was eight o'clock yeah. on a Thursday. And, they and just, that time, that's when we had, we Big West still had, or, you know, Big West had TV packages still. We right. still had a, a, a serious sort of um, uh, Fox Sports. We had um, Sports was it Prime Ticket? Or? Prime Ticket. We had ESPN. When we it had, was only one channel. Yeah, yes. <laughs> correct. Correct. Yeah, so there we, was it ESPN twenty six. We or had whatever. a decent media media package. Yeah, that's sort of gone away. We have it now. Why we pay for it through ESPN Plus? But but yes, that was an amazing time. And I was I was doing compliance in the conference office. Holy and so, moly. Young lady, I bet you saw quite a few things. <laughs> but could you imagine being seven oh two's calling, Dennis? Dennis, are you take are you taking it or am Who's I taking got it? Got this call, Dennis. <laughs> yes. Paula's not here. She'll be back. <laughs> Can you yeah. imagine having being the AD of a team like that right now? How in this yeah, era? Yeah. That's what I tell yeah. my son. I'm like, buddy, you don't realize yeah. you had to see it or you didn't see it. You didn't catch it on Sports Center. Correct. The, there was no social media. There was yeah. no Instagram. Yeah. You had, had to, to see, see it. it. And these guys for two years, and even after Larry left, they still mm-hmm. had Stacy and those guys were there. Mm-hmm. It was like nothing yeah. basketball had seen. There was a transformation of they their, their clothes, mm-hmm. their attitude. Hip-hop was becoming, yeah. you know, a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And they were in Vegas of all places. Yeah. It wasn't Boise or Gonzaga. No. No. Mm-hmm. And though I, again, you're in you're in Vegas, and Vegas and Reno were two of our two of the more two popular sure. conference tournaments. Yeah, so much fun. Yeah, Lawler. I, I remember staying at the Pepper Mill <laughs> up there. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine though being the AD yeah. of that team right yeah. now? I mean, I love Russ and I love what, what our yeah. team's doing, but that craziness. Yeah, no, no. Holy I again moly. with social media and the power. Nope. Up. Absolutely not. I mean, what would their NILs deals be? Oh, they they'd be millions. They yeah. would be millions. I mean, they were they were that starting pers- five their persona would be a- was beyond out of this world. And I mean, come on, Larry Johnson. Yeah, what was it, Grandmama? Grandmama. Grandmama was one of the greatest, you know, shoe ads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, that starting five would have a GDP of like some third yeah. world countries. Yeah, yeah. And, and at that time. <laughs> I would say five, ten million. Yeah. Transform today and have that team. Oh, yes. Oh. Yes. You're talking the big fifty, eighty, hundred, like, right? Yeah. Those I guys could. would be selling stuff left and right. Well, and and if it was still of the same underbelly that was kind of going, right. I guess I don't know else to say that, yeah. right? You it know, was under the table. Yeah. That was. Yeah. It was. It was such a different time. We almost kind of think is under the, was it, was it better when it was under the table and we didn't know and now that we know are people more judgmental to say oh that kid I can't believe that kid's making that x amount of money mm. and I don't think I don't think name image and likeness got rid of that no because the truth is if you ask most people they think that's the form of paying 
paying athletes, there's not an expectation that they're earning right. their compensation for their name. And then like that most people are trying to figure out how do I get that $5,000 check or whatever it is into the student's hand. So, um, so I don't know that we've name image and likeness got rid of the underbelly. Yeah, not at all. What's the future for Paula? Future for Paula is my goal is to, um, probably write out my career here at Irvine. I am in a space right now that I see so much growth and potential to at this institution. What I can see building from baseball and trying to build out that ballpark. While I have the Brent Event Center um, that is named already and, and a facility that not much modification comes to, there's much more improvement that I'm looking to do in that building. We have brought our Hall of Fame back. Right, I'm trying to recognize the individuals who have got us to where we are right now, and we have lots of class um, to begin um, getting past that. But as you can see, the success that our teams have begun having, how do I continue that success on an everyday basis and give an opportunity? In a, and I think Irvine can do it in a real shot. Yeah, you'll have ebb and flow of years, but sure. I believe that our athletic programs have a shot at being NCAA relevant teams. Not all are necessarily going to be national champions, mm -hmm. but I believe we have the ability to win Big West Conference champions. And if the Big West Conference champion is an AQ access to the NCAA, I strongly believe our teams can have that ability to do. And I think there's there's a lengthy lane in that space to continue to try to thrive for that for for this institution. Um, I mean, look what women's soccer did. They scared that they they punched UCLA in the mouth. Yes, and then came back the next year and scared the hell out of everybody. Yes. They, they did it to Essie yeah. and then advanced on, right? And, and I don't then, think anybody's going to schedule him again. Seriously. <laughs> and then they get... Scott, good luck trying right? to find anybody they to play. Went, right? They went to D.C. on and the SE rung and, and ended up coming home early. They got the next win the next year. Like, I again, how much more do I need to really dump in that program for them to continue to have that success? And I think all of the athletic programs here, they've all had success. Golf is going to the NCAs, both men and women. Women's golf? Men's, oh, women's, women's, women's water polo. Women's water polo consecutively has gone to the NCAAs. We've had baseball. Finals, right? They, Final. went, to the, they went to the, what, Elite Four, whatever mm -hmm. they call their elite? Yes. And we actually last year was this close to taking taking down UCLA and advancing. And so, like, right. that's, that's an amazing thing. Our basketball programs, again, they're starting to grow, and I feel like – Tamara's, Tamara's on the right choice for, for success for women's basketball. Russ has been there twice already, both of them becoming the winningest coaches in their program. We have national champions in volleyball. I think our men's volleyball team is back on track for, you know, yeah. vying for that conference champion. To my point, men's tennis two years ago, I think, went. Their mm -hmm. number one player had a death in the family and had to leave and go home when they went to the NCAAs. I think he would have pressed and had success in the NCAAs. We've track and field. You know, I'm not at a space right now where I think I fund them a way that they're going to win a national. But how many time, How many individual? Individuals, right? Individuals have gone to the NCAAs. We've got Charles Jock. We had Josh Frommer. Like, we have students, individual students who are having NCAA competition success. So of all my programs, we're just on the cusp of that. And how great would it be to really 
be in a space to continue to make that thrive. And then, and then with our facilities, there's so many different things to improve. We improved our track and field, yep. right, with the new track and a new place for the hammer cage. The next will be how do we sort of yeah, build an board, environment right, yep. for soccer, uh, the new video board there. Yep. I'm on a cusp of trying to get a new video board for water polo, um, trying to change the environment in the Brenna Vin Center. Like I said, I've already talked about baseball. <laughs> like, like. It's just there's so much here to still do, and and I feel like if I'm still loving this job and still loving what I do, I feel like I can continue um, some some longevity here at UC Irvine. And if if that were the end of it, I don't know that I would be completely done. I don't know that I would necessarily go to another institution, but I'd find some way to still be still be in college sports. You do love college sports, I don't do. you? I do. Yeah, I mean, it makes you smile, yeah. and you like get this like glimmer in your eye, like you. They would have to like pull you out of Pretty here much. at the very end. Pretty much, I, I'd hate to be in a space that where I'm I'm not longer effective at doing my job, right? But if that's the truth, I'd rather them tell me it. But but I'm gonna be working as hard as I can to to make sure that that I represent this institution and represent our student athletes and our coaches, you know, um, well and as ambassadors, and I love doing it for them. What's the longest tenured? UCI Irvine AD. Who's got the longest reign? Right now? Yeah, past guy. Past. Whoever. Who has it been? I don't know. That's a good question. Well, let's, let's put a target on it and see if we can go for okay. it. Well, I, I mean, of, of what I know of recent, like, um, I mean, Mike, Mike Izzy went 10, 11 years. Um, okay. That's got to be pretty good. Right, I mean, that's, that's, a lo- that's that is pretty long. That's a lot of times it's AD, five, right? right? As long as you use like dog five years. years. I mean, that's yeah. Shit. And I, I just have to go. I think I'd have to go back to the days, probably seventies, like starting around that time and up to like I'm not even sure how how long was Dan Guerrero here. Like I don't know that. Um, I don't know. You're yeah, the yeah. second woman female mm-hmm. SM, I am. Uh, AD. Yes, Linda Dempsey. L- yeah, was she was first. like a late seventies into mm-hmm. the eighties, mm-hmm. and then Dan was in the late. Did he go in the late 80s into the 90s? He brought me here in 2000. And then he okay. left and went to Riverside. I mean, went to UCLA. Yeah. So he was here for a period of time before that. So it, well, it, more than five years. I know that's, you know, from that standpoint. All right. Well, but if I'm you tr- hold it down a dozen Trying to think years. of John Kane. I'm like, they're, they're the top four, not so many. Like, I'm just, I know the names, but I How don't, I just don't think. I don't know that question either. Oh. If I'm starting back from day one. Day one, yeah. Huh. I should know that. Well. I don't remember the press release if it said how many. So let me let me go back right. to June six and read it. <laughs> Thank you for this time. This oh. has been unbelievable. The budget, the dealing with nil. Oh. God love you. Yeah. I don't know. I, that keeps me up at night, and it I'm is. not even an ad. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's a conversation yeah. I have with, you know, the civilians, yeah. people outside yeah. of it, and yeah. they just think it's crazy. Yeah. And for you to be neck deep in, in it, it between yeah. budgets and kids and yeah. COVID and. Yeah. The AD, I would say I'd give you a, a gold star because yep. you came through looking oh, fine. I, to- I so appreciate that. And again, but I, I don't do it alone. Right. You had a team. I had a team. Right. And, you know, they're, they're the ones, the teams always, you try to put them forward, but they're in the back because, yeah. you know, you have to wear yeah. the big sombrero hat yeah. and take the arrows out of everybody's quiver when they right. come at you. And yes. then you got to smile when they pat you on the back. Yeah, absolutely. You, you both said that coin here. You're, you're yeah, up for it. Because so. that's just part of the job. Yeah, absolutely. So well, you but do a I, great job at it. Thank you so much. And I, I, I so enjoy doing this podcast with you. And uh, it's I, good. Now you got to do more. I will. You're great. This public speaking. You're yeah, fine. <laughs> <laughs>
appreciate that, but you make me feel comfortable too. I appreciate, I appreciate all that you do for Irvine and just getting to know you and and uh, hopefully continuing a friendship here. So, well, well, yeah, we got yeah. we got another photo shoot. You promised. I me. know, but you know what? Well, we'll we'll work on it. Well, I want another photo shoot. These cute bangs. We gotta get some shots. Thank you. I I knew I need some new pics, but you know I I was supposed to go the other way, and uh, so we'll I gotta get back. On it, young lady. We'll work on it. Thank you. I Thanks, appreciate Paula. that. You got it. Have a good night. Thanks, Matt. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Paula Smith. If you enjoyed this episode, please click the like button and become a subscriber to the podcast. Remember, you can follow the Jessica Conversation podcast on Instagram, and you can find all of our past shows on the website at jessicaconversation.com. Thank you for listening.